we're diving into Ephesians chapter 2, <coughs> without any further ado, let's just dive in. Starting in verse 1. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. Oh, good start, Paul. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil. Commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. And by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. So Paul starts this on a really light note. Um, he's like, this is the starting point for everybody. Nobody starts on Team Jesus. Nobody starts off um, in the right. Everybody starts off because of Adam's decision back in Genesis to disobey God. Everybody in all of creation on the whole earth starts being led by the sinful nature. And you are not aligned with God. You are aligned with the devil, whether you want to admit it or not. Um, this is where everyone starts. And this, the reason Paul wants to start here is that it's very easy for those who believe in Jesus and declare him as our Lord and Savior to get really arrogant about our salvation. Like, oh, I'm good. I'm set. I, no, guess what? And look down on everyone who has not made a similar decision. And Paul's like, no, you don't get to look down on anybody else because we all started right here. You were a sinner. You were opposed to God, you're an enemy of God, you are aligned with the devil, and he says something really interesting, and he says it twice in three verses, so it's really important for us to pay attention. You're just like the rest of the world. You're just like everyone else. And I think this is one of the traps that we as the church need to be so careful about, because we can get so concerned about not standing out so much that we try to look like everyone else. Else. And Paul actually says that this is a problem. It is not up to us to look like, be like everyone else because of the salvation, because of how Jesus has made you new, which we're going to get into a little bit later. You should stand out. You shouldn't be like the rest of the world. You should be set apart. But being set apart and being different is so scary, God. I think I just want to be, I just want to be just like the rest of the world. Paul's saying you're not. You started that way. You're just like everyone else. You're just like the rest of the world, but you're not. And, if, and this morning I want to make the point of this. If you have not declared Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you're here in house or you're online, I don't know where you're at. But I, whether you want to admit it or not, this is where you are. You are aligned with God. You're following your own desires. You're following your own. And, and you may think that's really good. You may not see a problem with that. Uh, but the reality is exactly what Paul says. You are, as long as you are opposed to God and not aligned with him, you are an object of God's wrath. And I'm not saying that as a classic old hellfire and brimstone, like everyone's going to hell kind of message. No, that's not this kind of message. This is a, I, I love you enough as a human being to tell you the honest to goodness truth of where you're at and that there's a better option. That you don't have to be an object of wrath. You don't have to be in God's crosshairs. You can actually be, because of what we're going to read next, God actually loves you enough that he's actually made another option. That you don't have to settle for where you're at, but that God actually has a way better life waiting for you. But you have two options. You can either continue to live life your own way, 
ruled by your sin, ruled by your sinful nature, aligned with the devil and obeying his commands, which is what we're doing whether we're aware of it or not, or you need to call Jesus as your Lord and Savior, clean slate, forgiveness of everything that separates you from God, and start fresh and anew and be saved, not just from the punishment, but also saved from God's wrath. So Paul starts it off, lays it out, This is where we all start. And in verse 4 he says this. But God. This is where you were. But God is so rich in mercy. And he loved us so much. That even though you were dead because of your sins. He gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. I once listened to a pastor, and I really hope, I can't remember who the pastor was, so I really hope uh, you don't know, you, this doesn't like cause remembrance of, oh, I know who that was, because this is a slightly embarrassing. Um, I remember someone talking about that verse 4, but God. And he went off this whole big tangent about how we serve a but God. Do we see any, a but God? Really? That, I, no. I, I, that bad, right? Okay. We do not serve a but God. I, it, <laughs> but he made a really good point. I'm going to make the same point, but I'm not going to use his wording. Um, in spite of all of this, in spite of the fact that we were enemies of God and we were ruled by sinfulness and we were ruled by the devil and we were obeying his every command, and despite all of this, but as, as, as Paul says in Romans, even when we are still enemies of God, he says, but God, despite all of this, God in his mercy, in his love, in his grace, in his forgiveness, gave us a better way. But God stepped in Because he loves you, because he loves me, and because he loves each and every one of us. And he sent his son to die on a cross so that we could be united with him. So that this wall of sin that separates us from our purpose and from our life and from the from all the good things God has planned for us, this wall of sin that separated us from having a deep, intimate relationship with our Heavenly Father. Jesus died to take it away. It's not just so that we could be saved, but Paul went so far to say that you are united with Christ, so much so that just as Jesus is seated at the right hand of God in the heavenly places, so are we. Which means you have full access to your heavenly Father. When you pray, you don't just pray to the wall. You actually enter into the throne room of God. You have your heavenly Father's full attention. And when we think about, when we really think about that. That should change the way that we pray, because we're not just talking to a wall. We're not just talking to some 
force that maybe might listen to us. We actually have the full attention of our God as we speak to him and as we make our requests. And we actually sit at the feet of our God as he speaks to us and teaches us his ways and his wisdom and bestows so many good things on us. Jesus died so that we could be united with him. And Paul says it twice. This is not something that you earn. You do not do good things to get your salvation, and you do not do good things to keep your salvation. He actually says it's a free gift of God. It's something that God did for you, and that because you are saved, you are now empowered to do good things. And not just good things generally. Something that we've been talking about all series long is that God has called you specifically because you have a role in his plan of redemption that only you can accomplish. And he says, you are saved to accomplish the good things planned for you. There are things that God has planned for you to do that only you can do. (coughs) You have a part to play in this plan. You have a purpose. You have a calling. And part of the wonder and adventure of life is discovering what exactly it is that God has called you to. Every sermon I say, if you don't know what your calling is, then you got to go home and you got to keep thinking about it. You have a role to play. God has called you to great and glorious things. He has gifted you and with passions and talents and abilities so that you, only you can fill the role that he has set aside for you. And there's blessing and there's purpose awaiting you. So the question is, is do you know what your calling is? Because you have been created anew so that the sin and the death and everything that held you back isn't there to hold you back anymore. So often we hold on to the old ways. So often we are this... We, yeah, we, we, in our mind, we know that we're created anew, but so often we can get caught up trying to fall back into being like the world, fall back into the old habits and the old ways. And Jesus said, no, it's all, it's all gone. You're in, you are united with me. You're created fresh. You're created new, and you're created to accomplish great and marvelous things. Jesus died so that you could be united with him. Oh, but God. <laughs> Anyways. Continue on with the rest of the passage, with the rest of the chapter, starting in verse 11. Oh, verse 7. Okay, all right. Thank you for that. Before we go to verse 11, verse 7. Very interesting thing that Paul says here. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us, as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ. Here's one of the things that God wants to do, for, do f- with you. He wants to take you, he wants to point to you and say, look at this person's life for the next generation and say, look at the kindness I've poured out on them. Look at the grace I've co- poured out on them. Look at how good I have been to them so that they can see, the, see your life, see your example, and be inspired to find grace and kindness and mercy and love the same way he has poured out on you. So that may say a couple things to you. A, (laughs) what? People are going to look at my life? Yeah, that's God's plan for you. God wants you to live in the kindness and the goodness that he pours out on you so much so that he can say, fill in the blank, look at this person. 
He wants to be able to do it with me. Look at Matt. Look at how I've poured out my blessing on him. Look at how I've poured out my kindness and my mercy on him. And future generations will be like, oh, that's what it means to experience the goodness and kindness of God. But he doesn't just want to do it with me because I'm the pastor. He wants to do it with each and every one of us. God wants to point out you. Because not only are you a part of the plan, you're part of his story. You're part of... You're part of the redemption story. You're part of the, the, as God shows how he has gradually over time poured out his mercy, he'd been redeeming the world through his love and through his grace. You as a recipient of that love and grace, God wants to point to you and say, look at how, this is what it looks like. And some of you may be really nervous, like, oh, I don't want people looking at my life that closely. For the next breath, maybe you need to start looking at your own life a little bit closely and see how God has poured out for you because we often forget how much God pours out in our life. We often miss the blessings. We often miss the graces that God does pour out. We get so caught up. We talked about this last week. We get so caught up looking at everything that's going wrong, we forget everything that's going right. So if God sees the kindness he's pouring out on you and God wants to show it to other generations, the kindness he's poured out on you maybe you need to take a moment and pause and see the kindness that God is pouring out in your own life so you can see what he wants to show everybody else you are not only part of the plan you are part of the story now verse 11 okay there we go don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders now remember everyone who is not a Jew is a Gentile so I'm gonna go on a limb and say everyone in here Paul's talking about us you were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who are, you, who are proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. And you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. You lived in this world without God and without hope quite a statement Paul makes okay but now you have been united with Christ Jesus once you were far away from God but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ for Christ himself has brought peace to us he united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us he did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross and our hostility toward each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now, you Gentiles, are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with God's holy people. You are members of God's holy family. Together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles were also made, also being made part of this dwelling where God lives 
by his spirit. Now there's a big chunk of scripture there and it really breaks down to this. Paul uses the exact same model he used for the first chunk, right? So the first half of the chapter he says, you are all sinners, you're all separated from God, but because Jesus died, you are now united with Christ and seated at the right hand. And then he does the exact same thing. He says, you Gentiles, this is how you were seen by the Jews. You didn't know God, there was no hope. Without God, there's no hope. You were separated, you're going your own way, but because Jesus died... You are now brought into the fold. There's not two people, Jews, Gentiles. You are now united as one. And there's a really interesting line Paul uses. He talks about how Jesus broke down the wall of hostility. Now here's a little history for you. At the time, in the Jerusalem temple, <coughs> there was these great big courts outside the temple. And there was one called the Court of the Gentiles. The Gentiles were not allowed to get too close to the temple because they are considered unclean. They are considered, well, like I said, unclean heathens that were, might, de- <laughs> they might unholy or make the temple unclean if they got too close. So they actually created this court to keep them far away. And in order to keep the Gentiles in their court, there was a wall. There was literally a wall that kept people where they're supposed to be but it's not a wall as you would think it's not like this wall that keeps the weather outside and has a roof on it and you know you can't see over this wall it was actually more of a barrier and what would happen is because the jews had to walk through the court of the gentiles they'd walk through this court and they get to the barrier and they could step over the barrier this was the wall of hostility. It wasn't even really a wall. Like I said, it's just a barrier. But it's just, could you imagine being a Gentile, wanting to worship this God that you have discovered through your Jewish friend or whatever, and you're standing in this court, and these Jews are walking by. Excuse me, pardon me. Let me just get a little bit closer to God than you. Sorry, excuse me. It's literally what it was. All these people would walk past their Gentile friends and these Gentile believers and be like, just, just a sec. Actually, here, you know, someone was probably like, can I use your shoulder as I step over this barrier to get away from you? Like, that was kind of what it was. And it's no wonder Paul talks about like a wall of hostility. Could you, let's go get drinks after worship. I'm just going to go on my side of the wall. But, you know, let's go hang out. No, I'm not hanging out with you. You used me as a stepping stool to get closer to God. Thanks for that. And so Paul says, no. The the reason that Paul could probably reference this is not only because the Jews would have to go to Jerusalem and see this wall, but because Ephesus was so prominent, there's a good chance that the synagogue in Ephesus did the same thing. They probably had a wall to keep the Gentiles from getting too close. And now Paul has come in and he says, actually, you know what? The wall is not there anymore. There's no wall of hostility because you are not two separate people anymore. Because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, you are united and the wall is gone. You can now stand shoulder to shoulder in the presence of God, worshiping together and being united together with Christ. And I was reading this and I was praying about it. I was reminded of the fact, that word right there, that Jesus died, that the church would be unified. Not just the church in Ephesus, not just the church in the New Testament times, but that the church today could be united. And I wonder how often, and this happens so much, I wonder how often God has tore down a wall of hostility that is getting in the way of unity, and we're trying to build it back up. 
We want to hold on to our unforgiveness. We want to hold on to our hurts. We want to hold on to our bitterness. We want to hold on to our, we want to hold on to that division because we feel like there is safety there. And yet division is completely contrary to what God is trying to accomplish in his church. It's actually completely contrary to what Jesus died for. Jesus died that we would be unified. And yet we keep trying to hold up this wall. We keep trying to, we sometimes put the chains back on. We put all these things, all these things that Jesus died to defeat, we keep putting it back up. Jesus said that a kingdom divided cannot stand. A kingdom divided cannot stand. Jesus believed in unity in the church and the strength of the church so much that he died that the church would be unified. And my question is, is, are you trying to keep up the wall that Jesus knocked down? Is there unforgiveness? Is there bitterness? Are you holding something against somebody, a fellow believer, and you just don't want to let it go? Something that Paul's going to talk about in Ephesians 4, he's, like, he's going to pick up this idea that Jesus died, that we would be unified, and he's going to say that, Jesus, that unity is something we should be working something we should be fighting for unity in our church unity in the body of believers unity in our family of god is something worth fighting for and then he goes on he uses these three really cool analogies about how united we are and how important we are in Corinthians, he uses the, the analogy of a body, but in this, he uses three separate analogies. He uses the analogy of, of a kingdom. We don't have a kingdom of Gentiles, a kingdom of Jews. We have one kingdom. We're all citizens of one. We're going to spend eternity together. So let us be unified on earth because we're going to be unified all together in eternity. Just as there's not two kingdoms, <laughs> we are united by the kingdom. We are united because we are a house for God's family. And the, the way the house is built is the apostles and the prophets are the foundation. Christ is the cornerstone and we are the building blocks in between. You knock out one of those building blocks, the whole house collapses. We need each other. We're all part of this. We need to be unified to keep the structure strong. And then he finishes by saying that we are a temple of the Holy Spirit. First Corinthians talks about how you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so do not commit sinful sin because your body actually belongs to God and, your, and the Holy Spirit dwells within you. But Paul actually says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Not this place, not this building, just like the building isn't the church, the people are the church. Well, the building isn't where the Holy Spirit dwells. We collectively are where the Holy Spirit dwells. And if we come together and the Holy Spirit is in each and every one of us, something special should happen here. We are united because we all serve one God, we're saved by one Jesus, and we're all filled by one Spirit, not a whole bunch of different spirits. So just as God is united in one, may God's people be united as one. So three things we talked about this morning that I want you to take with you as you go this, go this week. Most important... Christ died so you could be saved. Along with that, Christ died so that you could be united with him. 
Christ died to take away your sins so that you could be created anew. But not only that, he died so that you could be united with him in the heavenly places. So this is Jesus, just as Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, so we are united with him at the right hand of God. You are united with Christ. It's not you and him, you're one. And Christ died so that the church would be united. So just as Jesus knocked down the walls of hostility and just as Jesus knocked down the walls of division that so often tear a church apart, Jesus died that we would be unified. Unity is something worth fighting for. So I beg of you, I ask you this week as you are reflecting and praying, allow the Spirit to reveal to you where Jesus has knocked down a wall and you may be trying to put it back up. Where has Jesus broken a chain that you're trying to put back on? Where has Jesus' death provided a victory for you that you are trying to still live defeated, knocked down? Because the good news is you don't have to live with all that. You don't have to live in division. You don't have to live with bitterness. You don't have to live with the sin. You don't have to live in temptation. You don't have to live in all this stuff. You are set free by what Jesus accomplished on the cross. It's just a matter of are you willing to step into it and experience it day in, day out. You are free. You are united. It's just a matter of, are you willing to step into it? I'm going to have the worship team to come on up. I'm going to invite everyone to stand. As the team gets ready, I'm going to pray. And uh, we've got one more song to close out the service. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you that you... You accomplished so much on the cross. You accomplished our victory. You accomplished our freedom. You broke down walls. You broke chains. You, like we said in the beginning, we just speak the name of Jesus over every area of our life. I thank you, Jesus, that you are not some distant God that is too far away to grasp, but we are actually united with you. Just as you are seated at the right hand of God, so we are sitting at the right hand of God, right with you. We come into the throne room with our prayers. God, may we pray differently because of that truth. May we live differently because we're united with you. Father, speak to us this week. Move in us. Remind us of the freedom. Remind us of the grace and the mercy that you pour out on us. Remind us, God, that we have a story that needs to be told. And that generations are going to hear the story and be encouraged and reminded that you are a good God who never stops loving us, never stops moving, and never stops making us new. Speak to us this week. Encourage us. I pray this in your mighty name, Lord Jesus. Amen.